0: Hello, and welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings toward our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was
1: a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair, okay.
0: So today we're continuing our read through of A Storm of Swords with um, Jamie Chapter 4. As usual, we have to give a blanket spoiler warning. Spoilers for the show, spoilers for the books. We know stuff and we may talk about it. (laughs) And um, probably best that we do a trigger warning for both rape and possibly uh, suicidal thoughts and discussion as well. Um, We're a tiny podcast this week. There are only four of us. Um, I've got a couple of the usual suspects. YD. Hi,
2: everyone. This is uh, YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And Eon.
1: Hey, this is Eon, and I'm at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr.
0: And this week we have a special guest who we're very excited to have because Mm -hmm. she is such an awesome supporter of the podcast. And also generally. Yes, generally, she's a pretty supportive person, period. But um, we have the lovely Rose with us this week.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Rose and I'm so excited to be here.
2: And she's not on Tumblr, but we're trying to get her onto Tumblr. I'm not on
3: Tumblr. It's like I don't exist.
2: Yeah,
0: you may as well not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and I'm Chicky, Chikrin on Tumblr. Um, You will notice I am not Lot, uh, Lady of (laughs) Tarthar. Our usual what? moderator. Yeah, <laughs> shocker, I know. No one noticed. Um, <laughs> she is taking a few weeks off and we will really miss her. So please We miss her. With us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we miss her already. <laughs> we miss her already. Oh, come back. <laughs> we're, we're dying without you. <laughs> kind of. I'm dying a little bit. Oh, 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 you're, a you're doing
2: great, Chicky. <laughs>
0: Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm moderating somehow. <laughs> Anyway, we'll muddle through without her, and hopefully, she won't be like face palming as she's listening to this recording tomorrow.
2: <laughs> hopefully, she's fish pumping instead. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so,
0: um, I guess we might as well just jump straight in. Um, I have sort of <clears throat> cheated and asked YD to read the first few paragraphs of this chapter. What? I know. <laughs> But I love it so much and um, I think we all agree that we're probably going to just fangasm all over this chapter so (laughs) let's just start it off right and read it for people a little
2: bit of it. So why Uh, do you want to take it away? I shall. Okay so we begin with Jamie and he's uh, feeling just a little bit down. His hand burned. Still, still, long after they had snuffed out the torch they'd used to sear his bloody stump, days after, he could still feel the fire lancing up his arm and his fingers twisting in the flames, the fingers he no longer had. He had taken wounds before, but never like this. He had never known there could be such pain. Sometimes unbidden, old prayers bubbled from his lips, prayers he learned as a child and never thought of since, prayers he had first prayed with Circe kneeling beside him in the scepter, Castle Rock. Sometimes he even wept until he heard the mummers laughing. Then he made his eyes go dry and his heart go dead and prayed for his fever to burn away his tears. Now I know how Tyrion has felt all those times I laughed at him. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) my heart, (laughs) Jamie!
0: It's just like so heart-wrenching. Like it's it, not only the physical pain, it's like the emotional yeah. pain that he's feeling is just
2: That's like exactly awful. right. Yeah, he he says, you know, he's he's taken wounds before, he's never known there could be such pain and, you know, not clearly not just his physical pain, but he's in a world of emotional hurt.
3: Yeah, this yeah. was the first time that I kind of as soon as I read those paragraphs it was like, all right, well I, I started really getting into Jamie's character and actually yeah. sympathizing
2: with him a little bit. This is a chapter you realize Jamie had a soul?
0: Pretty much. He's a real human being.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And not just a soul, but quite a poetic one.
0: God, yes. Yes. And I love how he, like, is praying. It's, personally, I read Jamie as, like, an agnostic or an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that kind of thing of, you know, when you're just in such misery and you just cry out in the night, you know, to any deity that might listen. Oh, it's, like, so beautiful in its pain, I guess.
2: No, it really is. I agree with you. I think um, I don't know. You do tend to read Jamie as someone who, because he doesn't generally pray throughout, and I'm not I'm not sure. Does he does he mention in the books about how he's you know doesn't really believe in the gods or he? Um...
0: Well, we see him kind of mock the gods. Like in yeah. Crash, he talks to Catelyn and kind of mocks the gods. Yes, and um, you know even in in Feast, when we see him kind of pray for Brienne, he kind of is you know laughing and going am I even praying to the gods or to my father like he doesn't really believe right. I don't think yeah but in a way that just makes it more powerful for me I guess yeah and well no that's right it because it's about Tyrion but... how he knows how Tyrion feels now
1: mm, Definitely. But that's
0: a really powerful place to be
1: yep.
3: yeah yeah so do...
0: we move from that to something that we saw a little bit of in the last chapter which is that Jamie and Brienne are tied together On a horse again. (laughs) Um, Only in the last chapter they were back to back. And now they've been tied. uh, Well it looks like they are back to front some of the time. But now they're face to face. And Shagwell kind of mocks them. And calls them the lovers. Which um, feels like a pretty. Deliberate um authorial thing to do. <laughs> um, but Shagwell kind of mocks them and says, but which of you is which, which is of course kind of a big part of Jamie and Brianne's story, you know, who's the knight and who's the lady. Yeah. We never really do know.
2: Yeah, um, we've got that whole um sort of inverted beauty and the beast trope happening as well and then the knight and the maiden. Totally. Um, yeah. And
0: it's interesting how Jamie talks about how like, you know, He's in pain, and it's like his world just shrinks to like his pain and Brienne, because it's just like the mm. two of them there together, you know, kind of muddling through this. It's like she's the closest thing to him as he's suffering through this mess. Right? And don't you just wonder what she's thinking? Yes. Yeah. Well, on? I
2: I think that she's. I mean, we find out later in feast that Brienne is. You know, she's really quite kind. Um. You know, when you get past the the prickly exterior. So I think she's – and it's, it's fairly evident from this chapter. I think she's feeling really sympathetic towards him and she's, she's trying to do her best, I guess, to to help him as much as she can. Um, but going back to what you were saying about, you know, how Brienne and, and his pain have literally become his whole world, you notice again that um, – Another sort of little romantic um, shout out, I guess, that George is doing there about how Jamie mentions that she's warm and you sort of get this impression that she is kind of providing the only warmth in his life. And, you know, that's kind of reinforced later on in the next chapter when Jamie has his dream and she's the only light in the darkness for him. So I, you know, I, I enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. That's something yeah. to hang on to that line of she's warm that yeah. we revisited. Um, oh God. It's just like, so painful at this point and when i think about being in brand's head at this point i mean it's you kind of think about what she says in feast about um you know when she's she's talking about after she's heard people talking about jamie's hand being cut off she's like it's, yeah. it's one thing to slay a lion yeah it's another to leave yeah. him broken and bewildered or whatever it is and you just kind of think she must be thinking exactly back about exactly these moments
2: um, yeah and it's funny like it- because I sort of had a similar note here and it's when she thinks back on those times, it's not that she's thinking about, you know, how she had to sort of take care of him and, you know, clean him up when he, you know, soiled himself and whatnot. It's just, (laughs) you know, you know, oh, you know, he was just so sad. And uh, (laughs) I just felt so bad for him. So she's, she's really quite empathetic. Yeah. And it's
3: kind of, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. With Brianne that she's one of the few people that can really understand what it means to lose a hand you know a right oh, hand
2: of a knight true. yeah yeah I do I wonder also like you think about Cersei in this context and what do you think Cersei would be doing in, in this context would she be uh taking care of Jamie in the same way would she be cleaning up his vomit and his shit yeah. I don't I think, think so
0: you know she... and Jamie knows that that's a no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 I think that's kind of the feeling that you get yeah um oh and so it's interesting here we find out that they've um, taken Jamie's hand and put it on a cord and and hanged it around his neck uh, which just sounds horrific yeah and uh you know he's just in so much pain as they they move um, toward heron Hall um and the mistreatment of the well the brave companions but as so many call people call them derogatorily the bloody mummers uh the mistreatment kind of um well in some ways for Jamie climaxes when they give him um horse piss to drink instead of water, and he's so thirsty that he drinks it. it's just like you imagine Jamie Lannister, you know the golden Knight, and this is just yeah. like the lowest of the low points that he hits when this happens
2: yeah he's he's really um suffering a huge amount of humiliation in this chapter. And he's just at a point where he's he's given up and he's just enduring it without yeah. trying to fight at all. It's really devastating to read.
0: Yeah, it is. And then like you see about how Brienne has to clean him up like you were talking about earlier. It's just like, oh
2: God, can you imagine? For both of them, can you imagine Yeah, must have been like? Yeah, and you know what? Can we talk a little bit about, you know how <laughs> some people seem to have the idea that Brienne's, when she falls in love with him, um her love being you know this sort of naive and idealistic like a schoolgirl crush that she has on him but I mean if you think about what she has actually gone through with him you know having to clean up his vomit and his shit and then later on in the bath he completely just bears his soul to her she is probably the one person who truly knows Jamie um and she loves him anyway, and in no way do I think that what she what she feels about him is a schoolgirl crush. I find that an absolutely ridiculous argument.
0: Right? Yeah, I totally agree. How could it be a crush at this point? I mean, this is so much reality. I mean, when I see he soiled himself, it's too bad Torg isn't here because I just read that and he like <laughs> shit himself. <laughs> I mean, that's what I see when I see that, and it's like he's she's cleaning the vomit out of his beard. She's cleaning it up when he like basically. Shits himself. I mean, like these are really intimate moments. Like they're tied together for probably days. I mean, who knows how long they're enduring this? Probably around a week. Um, and it's just like imagine how close you would be to someone, even if you were like you know fevered and insensate as Jamie kind of is. I mean, if you go through these things together,
1: right? Well, I mean, when you think, oh no, you go ahead, you. Well, I was I was just thinking, I mean, Jamie and Brianne's relationship has been extremely genuine. There's been no facade whatsoever like with Hal Hunt. It, there was no, you know, trying to, I don't know, Hal was just trying to put up a front, you know, to show that he was a really good guy. But it's like Jamie was just Jamie from the very first start. He was super snarky and just, you know, just full of attitude. And then now she sees him at this, and it's just been so it's genuine.
0: You're so yeah, right. There's so it, much honesty between them. They have just been frank with one another from yeah. the very beginning. And it's just like their relationship continues to be just based on the absolute like core truth yeah. of both of it's, them. It's, I mean,
2: you're right. It's just brutal honesty. That's what it is. And I mean, when you think about I don't know what is what are what are people's concepts of a schoolgirl crush. I mean, when you think about it, it's it would be something that maybe you base on someone's looks. You know, you find them really attractive. They've been really kind to you. None of this is. I mean, yes, ja- Jamie is Jamie is very attractive, but you know, when Brienne initially meets him, she loathes him. So it's certainly not his looks that draw draw him to her, and it's certainly not the way he's been treating her. I mean. You know, yes, later on, and even especially in this chapter, he does care about her and tries to protect her, but (laughs) there's been a lot of hostility and acrimony. And you know, this sort of um, respect and trust and caring only really develops after they get to know each other quite well. So, I think that is the foundation for this relationship. It's certainly not based on some sort of superficial you know idealized schoolgirl crush
0: yeah right. that's so true yeah. that's so true I'm glad you guys brought that up especially the yeah. comparison to Highland Kajabi yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that well, as far as school girl, girl school girl crushes with Brienne I mean the, the closest one you can say is with Renly
2: yes, yes that's yeah. exactly right yeah, yeah. I mean that's, that's can I just girl say for sure that girl has no gaiter <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brienne. <laughs> Poor Brienne. <laughs> but yeah, that was that's exactly right. And I think I um I did touch on that last last week where we talked about um you know, both Brienne and Jamie really have only experienced a sort of idealised kind of love because, mm-hmm. you know, Brienne with Renley, which obviously wasn't an honest kind of love, it was based on lies, I guess. And then Jamie and Cersei where it's completely based on lies, where neither of them I think um, really love the other person for who they are. So this is a, you know, this Jamie and Brienne relationship is just a really refreshing kind of change. And, yeah, I think, as Ticky was saying, it's just brutally honest. brutally Yeah, and honest it's relationship. new for both of them in that, yeah.
0: I think. That it's just yeah, absolutely.
2: Amazing.
0: So we move on, oh, God, to what is really Jamie's low point, I think, that we ever see, even though we will see him at low <laughs> points later on.
2: Chicky, can um, we talk about the stars? Oh, God. We're not there oh. yet. We're not there yet. Okay. I can't pull a lot. I'm chomping at the bit to get to this point.
3: Is that a horse <laughs> reference?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, God. Is there a horse metaphor we could
2: pull? Oh, I swear there is, you guys. <laughs> There's gotta be one. <laughs> Sorry, Chicky. <laughs> uh,
0: so, Jamie, just in the depths of his despair, his loss of not only this appendage, but his identity. Um, basically makes a suicide attempt. He grabs a sword and he thinks to himself, you know, let them kill me. Um, he's going to try to attack them and force them to kill him. Kind of like if, if you wanted to correlate it to a modern scene, it would be like a suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the harder things to read. Like, they just end up laughing at him as he tries to attack it's them and they just really disarm him.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, afterward... <laughs> Okay, YD, you're gonna get your moment. So
2: <laughs> Hang afterwards. on, I want to, to go back because I actually do have a note about that. Um, I've I've read people saying they didn't think it was a legitimate suicide attempt, but what? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in my in my opinion, there's no way to not read that as a suicide attempt. She's yeah. just you know.
1: This is like he, the lowest of the low that Jamie's ever been. I mean, this yeah. is his his whole identity was his right hand. Exactly. That's the like that's the hand that he used to fight. That's the hand he used to hold Xerxes with. That's the hand that uh-huh. pushed Bran out the window. That's probably <laughs> even that's probably even the hand that held on to Xerce's ankle whenever they were pulled out of the womb. Oh, I mean, oh,
3: you know? Good riddance.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: so i mean uh, yeah no I, I totally agree with you, eon i mean if if you haven't gotten the impression so far from reading this chapter that jamie is you know at the lowest possible place I mean, that a person could be at the, uh you're reading it the, wrong
1: i mean just the hand his hand being cut off is the way to kill somebody without really killing them
0: yeah. exactly yeah yeah well, and I totally read it as a suicide attempt, just yeah. because it's like there's no other reason for him to try this. He knows he can't get away. No. Um, you know, he just wants to die. Well, he will yeah. tell us that in a minute. <laughs> yes, he <it> will. <laughs> so I mean, I think. No, they've been apparently be. tying Jamie and Brienne up at night to a tree and, and Jamie like takes some comfort in the fact that they still feel like they need to tie him up. They're a little bit worried about him, but they tie Brienne next to him. And it sounds like they're not really allowed to talk to one another. And so Jamie's just laying there just absolutely at the lowest of the low. Even his suicide attempt has failed. <laughs> and go ahead and take it away, Whitey. If you want to read that paragraph, you read it. I'd love to hear it.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> if I just had, you know what? I just had the line in my notes, but I think the paragraph the is gorgeous. So read the line, will... Whitey. Read the okay. line. All right. I will read the line. So... As Tiki said, Jamie is just sitting there contemplating the fact that his life is over and he looks to the night sky and he says, how can such a night be beautiful? He asked himself, why would the stars want to look down on such as me? Oh, God. How can people not love Jamie? (laughs) (laughs) I think is the definitive line of Jamie's entire story in in this series. And it's just he's such a... Yeah, I agree. I don't know how you can't love Jamie. He's such a unique voice in the books, and he's he's so layered as a character, and and smarter and deeper than people think. He's 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 really here. He's got the soul of a poet. I think it's just so beautiful. He
0: really does. That whole paragraph, he's like looking up the, at the constellations in the night yeah. sky. Yeah. Even the way that he describes them is just beautiful. You know, he's got such a like romantic soul. He's so yes. wistful and looks back at the beautiful past and everything oh,
3: God. that's what i i really <laughs> <laughs> jamie that's what i really loved about this is that <laughs> even though we're starting to get into the mind of jamie you still see his dialogue and that's the jamie that we all knew that's the jamie yes. that he presented he's still all snark in his dialogue and then totally. we get this inner monologue that is just romantic and beautiful and sad and it's the two contrasting to each other is probably my one of my favorite parts of this chapter
0: Yeah, it's one of my favourite parts of Jamie, period. I mean, this is part of the beauty of Jamie. It's like the Jamie that you get when you're talking to Jamie, and it's the Jamie that you get when you're inside of Jamie. And, oh, God.
2: Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, he is really layered. He's not just this one-dimensional, reckless, snarky knight. He really does have a softer side, and it's really quite beautiful how it comes out here, even though it's also very tragic.
0: Yeah, oh, God. So then, Brienne who has watched this suicide attempt this day and probably senses that Jamie is just basically losing it next to her, um, whispers to him and is like, Jamie, what are you doing? And he says he's dying. And um, she's like, no, you must live. And he's yeah. like, "Stop telling me what to do, wench. Yeah,
2: I, this is like one of my absolute favorite parts of this chapter for a few reasons. I think I don't know, just the way JB initially responds with dying. It sounds so melodramatic, although it to does. him, to him, it's true. Like to him, he's he's basically lost what makes him who he is. He doesn't he doesn't have any will to live anymore. What's the point now that he no longer has his hand? But my absolute favorite part is that Brienne instinctually knows what to tell him to get him out of this funk like she she really understands him already um and you know when she suggests to him that you know you must live to get to get revenge he immediately jumps on it he's like yes you know what (laughs) (laughs) and always pays his debts and I'm going to pay this debt in interest so good job Brienne
0: Yeah, she knows exactly how to get through to him. And I kind of love how this is just another one of those times where Jamie's in his own head, just, you know, like, poetically viewing the world. Granted, he's not, you know, drunk on sunlight anymore. This is a very (laughs) dark place. But yet again, Brienne just interrupts his, like, internal monologue and is just like, deal with some reality, deal with me now. And like, yeah, she totally says exactly what he needs to hear and kind of spurs him so it's interesting how she spurs him by calling him craven, by basically calling Mm. him a coward for giving up Um, and how much that bothers him and how she knows that but it's also interesting how he responds um, and thinks you know no I've got to live Cersei needs me I've got to live Tyrion loves me Um, it's interesting that it's just now that he's kind of drawing on his family for strength why do you think it took him so long I mean, we can assume it's been several days at this point since he lost his hand. Why didn't he reach to them as the reason to keep going before now? It's it's interesting to me.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I can't say that I actually thought about that in depth. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting point that you raise. I wonder if I mean, I could I guess you could say that it's just because he's he's been so far into the sort of depths of despair that he just hasn't been able to think about anything else uh, self-centered pain yeah well you you get that way i mean it's you know if you're really enduring a, an immense amount of pain there is really little else you can think of yeah uh, Oh, plus,
3: too, I mean, his right hand was everything. I mean, he even says afterwards, is that all I was, was a sword hand. Yeah. And he probably figured as soon as that got chopped off, his use for his family was completely gone. And it's well, only until he says, I'll live for Cersei and Tyrion, and then he starts thinking, okay, well, I can just have a new hand reforged, a golden hand, and I'll be better. And he's trying to compensate a little bit.
2: Well, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, if you can't fight, and I think, I don't know if this was just a show line, um, does Cersei think about him not being of any, she does say to him about him not being of any use, does she? Or am I oh, misremembering? Gosh. In Feast,
0: she might finally say some things, but I don't think anything yeah. much in Storm of Swords,
2: no. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think that Rose Hart mentions, you know, well, I think she raises a good point. He, And it's all tied in with the fact that, you know, he's nothing anymore, because I guess to his family, um, he was always the one that would you know, sort of, he was their protector. He would be the one to come and save them if they needed help. And the way he did that was through fighting. So he no longer can do that. But I do wonder, is is that, then how does that reflect the way that Jamie feels about his relationship with Cersei? Is that all he feels that he is to her subconsciously? I mean, you know, surely he'd still want to get back to her because, you know, they love each other and, you know, okay, I might not be able to fight anymore, but at least I still have Cersei. So that is interesting, Chiki, that you mentioned that. Why, why had he not thought about Cersei and used her as a way to pull himself out of this, um, you know, despair into yeah, now? I
0: mean, I was asking because I really don't, no for sure i mean certainly you can see that jamie has in his own mind um kind of abandoned his role as you know tywin's heir and his heir to Castle rock because um, you'd kind of think from the outside looking in, you'd go okay well you can't fight anymore you're still jamie lannister but jamie doesn't seem to think of himself that way it's like he is so wrapped up in his identity as a knight and as a swordsman and as a member of the king's guard it's amazing what the loss of that does to him, considering that he's still a very powerful man. He still has, you know, a lot of,
2: yeah, but that's, I guess because he he joined the Kingsguard at fifteen. It's really all he's ever known because he, he you know, he was a kid when he uh let go of the idea of becoming the heir or, or being the heir to Casterly Rock and, you know, I guess being a lord and um that sort of thing. So I mean, how old is he now? He's what, thirty five, thirty six? Maybe
0: thirty three at this point. Yeah, I mean, okay. So he's at the beginning of the series. At least
2: at least twenty five odd years of, you know, essentially his identity being a fighter being someone who protects um so you know taking that away is is taking away everything for him yeah
0: it's really it's really interesting and it is interesting how long it takes him to arrive at Cersei's reason he does think that she will need him he Mm. knows she needs him because he knows that Robert's dead and and he knows she's gonna need him and Tyrion too he thinks of Cersei and then he thinks of Tyrion as he does so often he often thinks of the two of them together um as he's going through his journey that we watch so he yeah. decides to live thank god <laughs> he's like otherwise
2: down... that's where i stopped reading the book
0: <laughs> and then it all ended in tragedy
2: uh... but
0: he's choking down the food and he he's moving on and he's he's you know clearly resolved to keep going and it's funny that um when they mention that they're going to heron hall um he's thinking about the fact that you know that is where he was made a member of the King's Guard. Yeah. Uh-huh. So much about the Riverlands is just kind of Jamie's crucible. I mean, so much of his character development throughout his life has happened there. And it is funny how he has to keep revisiting <laughs> these places <laughs> where he's had these really momentous events. So he's kind of laughing about it and um, it's the, the night before when Brienne was like asking him if he was going to die, she ended up taking a beating for talking because apparently they're not yeah. allowed to talk to one another. And it's interesting. He's laughing about the whole Harrenhal thing, and then he ends up taking a beating for, <laughs> yeah, for talking about that. It's it's funny how they're they're willing to take beatings to communicate with one another. <laughs> yeah, um, as they're stuck on their little <laughs> journey. <laughs> um, so, we talk about the uh, Jamie and Brienne being tied together, and and they're sort of you know being stuck in this journey together it's interesting that despite Jamie's own pain he's kind of paying attention to Brienne and what this experience is like for her and what it's doing for her to her I should say um you know he he's still aware that the threat of rape is very real Mm. for her and he says this thing about how you know she still has walls she's built walls around herself and they're not going to be able to hurt her because of that
2: I love that par- that entire paragraph. <laughs> I'm just going to want to read all the paragraphs, but no, I think that's, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, yeah. just how much attention he pays to her, despite yeah. how much pain we know he's in, I think is kind of amazing. <laughs> so we move on to what Jamie knows has been coming, and you kind of wonder if Brienne knew it was coming too, and that is um, there's finally going to be a rape, Shagwell, Zalo, and Rorge um, come at night and they're going to rape her. And this is <laughs> one of the more difficult scenes for me throughout the entire series. Yeah. Um, we see all of this through Jamie's point of view, for which I'm personally grateful because I can't even imagine what it must have been like for Brienne. Oh God, no. Later. Yeah.
2: It would have actually been, I mean, I, I, I agree. I don't think I've wanna read it, but I think it would have actually been really interesting to to get inside her head because you know in Feast later on where she's again facing the threat of rape um she sort of goes into this warrior mode where she she doesn't really think about the rape she just sort of thinks about surviving and you can sort of see it happening here as well with what she says and how she plans to fight them
0: yeah she she's planning to fight which is interesting but you know like they're they come over and they're arguing it's one of the more horrific things I've ever seen (laughs) they're arguing about who gets Uh, to rape her and in what orifice and in what order yeah
2: Um, and And then they decide that you know they should do it together which is makes it worse (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: you think it couldn't get worse and then and then it it does Yeah. yeah
2: yeah it's a it's a really interesting scene um it's i think maybe well jamie's already saved her from rape once where was it the last chapter where he um you know, talks about how she's worth her weight in sapphires. And then he does it again at the, you know, at great risk to himself. Um, And it's again, I think, demonstrating a couple of things. Jamie, um, I think, and I spoke about this last week, he's, you know, significant distaste of rape, which, and I think, we talked about this later, Chicky, and we didn't mention it last week. It's not only from his experience with Ares, but also the um, the Taisha thing as well. Back when, do we need to explain that for the for the listeners? Probably. Back, yeah. Um, so essentially, um, oh, Chicky, you might be able to do it better than I can. Oh, okay. It's just
0: basically Taisha Tyrion's first wife, when he met her, um, she was being chased by rapists and he met mm. her while he was with Jamie. They were kind of on a road and she burst out onto the road and Jamie took off after the rapists. He was just incensed mm. that people were raping someone this close to Casterly Rock. It was somewhere yeah. close. I think it was between Lannisport and Casterly Rock or something like that.
2: Yeah. So Jamie has uh, really strong feelings against rape, which is uh, you know extremely rare i guess in this in this society um so you know of course he's listening to these these men talk about raping brienne who is you know who has been for the last i don't know however long days weeks been you know taking care of him she's been you know the only warmth in his life, the only light in the darkness um and you know you really get a sense that he's really empathising with Brienne here and he's come to respect her and care about her and and comfort her. So, you know, they have that little conversation and he tells her that, you know, let them have their meat. You go far away, it will be over quicker and they'll get less pleasure from it. He's really trying to help her out and, and tell her, you know, okay, it's a horrific thing that might be about to happen to you, but just try not to think about it. Think of Renly if you loved him. Think of Tarth. Well, it's uh, really
0: intimate what he's doing It here. is he's extremely He's his intimate. own coping mechanism, which yes. we will hear him talk about again later, but he is... Teaching her this go yeah. away inside, thing. inside. It's like you can imagine yeah. Jamie laying next to Brienne. As these guys are standing over them. And they're about to rape her. Mm. And they're arguing and not paying attention to Jamie mm. and Brienne. And Jamie is sitting there telling her. Okay here is how you're going to survive this. This is what you're yeah. going to do. And he not only tells her what the coping mechanism that he uses is. He starts trying to like paint this word picture for her. Like you know he's like think of Renly. Um, yeah. you know, think of Tarth. Think of the think mountains, of the, mountains, think and of the, the waterfalls. Yeah. yeah. He, he's actually trying to help her go away inside. It's yeah. one of the more like horrific and yet at the same time, you know, intimately beautiful things that I, yeah, think, George I think has ever done.
2: I agree. I think it's, you would call it maybe heartbreakingly beautiful. It's, uh, you kind of, I, when I was reading it, you kind of got that sense um, sort of imagining Jamie when he was. You know, a, a teenager is a member of the Kingsguard standing outside Eris' room and, and listening to the horrific sounds of him raping his wife and just, you know, going away inside. Uh, so, you know, you're right. He really is sharing a really intimate part of himself with her there. And it is really lovely, really heartbreaking, but really lovely. Yeah. And I mean, of course,
0: we only see it from Jamie's point of view. (laughs) We (laughs) can only imagine what it's like
2: for Well, Brienne's probably not appreciating the uh, (laughs) – at that moment, she's probably not appreciating exactly what he's doing for her. But, you know, I think that is certainly something that she then later on realises for sure.
3: Well, I I was kind of struck by the line that's in the middle of this dialogue because when I had first read this, obviously – you know little about what he had to deal with with Aries, And to have him say that that was what he had done, he had gone away inside when mm-hmm. he was witnessing, you know, someone burning alive and having their son strangled trying to get to them. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of in the middle of this, it's like it's just another whammy of like what Jamie has gone through and now what he's trying to convey to Brienne, who I think he may see as having to deal with similar things that he's had to do.
1: Well, that, and to lock hot.
3: herself
2: yeah, you wonder just how much atrocity Jamie saw oh, under Ares. Oh yeah. And that I is a, what, a... what that scene that you mentioned Rosehart. um when I was reading about it it really it it really did kind of sicken me just to read about it just to imagine it because George paints quite a vivid picture of uh you know um you know Rickon and, and Brandon Stark and how you know the dad's being burnt in his armor, burnt alive, and his son is there hung around, you know, being hung, and he's struggling so hard to get to his dad that he actually ends up you know hanging himself. <laughs> Probably one yeah. of the more traumatic things that uh, that Jamie had to endure. So you can only imagine, um you know and as a he would have been quite young, presumably back then. so he really he really has developed this sort of coping mechanism whereby he just, tries not to think about it, he goes away, he starts thinking about other things. So as Chicky said, yeah. he's trying to give that advice to Brienne, you know, just think of Tar, think of the waterfalls. Um it'll be over and you know And Ugh. doesn't
3: he give the same advice to Toman at some point yeah. I think during yeah.
2: yeah he does. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So that's just yeah. his go to I guess.
2: Yeah that is. I mean and you and can tell it's...
0: you know we see again here <laughs> another thing that we see a lot with Jamie when it comes to Brienne and that is that he's like wondering himself why he's going to help her. He's like, yeah. "Oh, yes. why do you care if they rape her?" And then yet he can't help himself. He's trying to help her regardless. It's
1: Yeah. Uh, like I, that part where he's like, "What what do I care if she does? If she hadn't been so pig-headed, I'd still have a hand." Yeah. Do you really do you really think he would have if she wasn't in the picture, would he still have had his hand cut off? Cuz I think if they were still if he was just captured with Fargo Hote, his hand would still be cut off because Fargo Hote is notorious for cutting off limbs. I
0: think he's blaming her for their capture.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think it was both their faults, really.
0: (sighs) But, oh god, yeah, yet again, he like, it's like he doesn't know his own mind. It's like, what do you care? Jamie, yeah, and then yeah, he's helping her anyway. (laughs) He
2: he just can't work it out, the poor darling. (laughs) He (laughs) He really does not have the emotional maturity to actually understand why he why he feels this way. So yeah, Yeah. the contrast (laughs) is is quite hilarious. It's kind of like you know, stupid, stubborn, brave bitch. She was gonna get us killed, and you know why why do I care? um And then he's like. You know, oh, and yet he heard himself, you know, whisper to comfort her.
1: Why am I doing this? And you, you mentioned like emotional immaturity. It seems like Jamie, he really hasn't had to grow up very much. I mean, he's at probably about age 17 as far as like <laughs> yeah. emotional yeah, really
0: wise. Is. Yeah. <laughs> he really is.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is he hasn't really had a
2: a proper adult relationship, I don't think, Um, when you think about his relationship with Cersei. It's kind of um, always had this um, taboo aspect to it. It's always kind of been this um, sort of secretive thing that they've had going on. They've not really you know, been able to develop that as a proper adult relationship. So Jamie doesn't know <laughs> he hasn't, I guess his emotions haven't developed along with his, his, uh, you know, him physically.
0: Yeah. Well, and he's managed to avoid a lot of the responsibilities that you would yeah. have in a long-term real exactly. adult relationship. Right. You know, he kind of yeah. has the wife and kids, but he avoids pretty much all of the responsibilities. Yeah. Of exactly. The same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's great. It's interesting here how Brienne, um, She's she's kind of doing a callback to what Jamie had told her in the last chapter, which is that, you know, he'd have made them kill him. And she is clearly planning on doing the same thing. It's interesting that they both kind of reach this point of just being ready to die in this chapter. And he knows it. He knows what she's doing. And it's part of the reason why he's trying to tell her how to survive it. He knows she's going to get herself killed. And it's interesting how we're seeing Jamie. Um, use his brain to get out of pro- of situations because he right. figures out a way to save her from this, even though he can't fight and he can't do anything by yelling sapphires. He calls Margo yeah. Hoda, right. who he knows will save Brienne um, because right. she has to stay a virgin.
2: <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> terribly
0: important for the ransom. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is really important yeah, I, I that that... never consider that she might have slept with Jamie no one has ever had that
2: <laughs> <life>. <laughs> she's just so ugly I mean
0: <laughs> yeah Oh, and the other thing it's so horrific poor Brienne even as they're about to rape her they're like mocking her about how ugly
2: she is yes
1: it's horrible it... it's like some of the most fucked up things yeah. I've ever read in... in a story it's true <laughs> not only
2: is she you know about to be raped but she's also suffering additional humiliation which is oh i just felt for her so much and i'm just so grateful that jamie was there and he was yeah. willing to risk his life to save her and that is what he's doing here he is by yeah. shouting sapphires because, because you know she takes to... another beating for that <laughs> well he does and i think there's some nice vivid imagery there about uh he was it Oh, no, that might have been earlier, actually, about his stump. But, yeah, I didn't even know how many beatings these two have endured now yeah, trying to just to save actually, each other. And, and they're it, actually
1: kicking his stump, yeah. too. They're
2: kicking it. Yeah. So that and might have been it, yeah, oh. which I was just wincing while I was reading because you can imagine <laughs> the pain of this, you know, obviously really diseased, um, infected stump. And it's obviously gotten to the point where he's, um, you know, uh, he's – Passing out, he's vomiting. It's obviously, he's obviously really, really sick. So,
1: yeah, he's got a massive infection. Yeah, yeah he bad. Poor and, and
2: he's still thinking about Brienne and trying to save her. Poor and uh, oh, and that leads to, uh, you know, Brienne saying, Why Why did you shout out Sapphires? You yeah. know, what are you, what are you doing, Jamie? You ask yeah, because she's, like, she's you can just imagine her ruminating on it and thinking because no yeah. one's ever been kind to her, no one's ever. Um, it it
0: makes you think of that line from Feast that she has where she says oh god I'm going to quote it wrong but it's something like um, it it wasn't the cruelty of the masses or whatever it was the kindness of the few yes that's
2: fantastic yeah and it did and that's exactly what's happening you know as you said she took two days to actually ask him because you can just imagine her turning it over and over in her mind trying to work out exactly why this man who you know doesn't really know her, he doesn't have any reason to want to help her, why he would actually risk his life to save her. And then, you know, Jamie being Jamie denies any sort of altruistic intent and makes light <laughs> and makes light of what he did. You know, she's hard enough to look at with a nose. Right. <laughs> and you know, and then Brienne responds, you know, all the same, I thank you, sir. And I think that is the first time she actually calls him sir. It is. Um, yeah, it is. Sort of indicating that this is the moment where Brienne sees Jamie as a, as a real knight, you know, at the way she views knights, someone that is honourable. And I, that, that was really beautiful.
0: It is beautiful.
2: And I think earlier on, she actually does call him Jamie. Oh, when she, I think we're have, they're having that, what are you doing, Jamie? I'm dying. That may be the first time she actually refers to him by name. I think it um, is. Yeah. So this chapter is the chapter where everything's happening in their relationship. Yeah. Um, he, he's no longer the slayer to her. Um, she is no longer just this you know, stubborn Wenchu is his captor, uh, someone to escape. They're both in this together. As we have said before, they're a team now and, and they, they care about each other. And really, um, it's just really interesting to see them both willing to, to, to die for each other already. Yeah,
0: that's it. It's interesting. And it's funny because you kind of can assume that Brienne is maybe saying some of the same things to herself. Like, why do I care so much about this guy? The same way that, yeah. that, that Jamie's saying that about Brienne in his own head, you know, like, why do I care? And yet he's doing these things anyway.
2: Yeah. And you, so- you wonder, like, is Brienne, because I think, you know, her vows probably play a bit of a part. You know, she needs him to stay alive so that she can save Catelyn's daughters but I I really do think it goes a lot further than that now she really is a a kind empathetic person she sees the extent to be suffering and she really just wants to help
1: well they both now have common enemies now I mean they're kind of stuck together I mean yeah they're a team they're
2: a team (laughs) Yeah, and it happens without them even discussing it it's just something they find I guess they're in sync now it just happens yeah
1: oh babies Oh, <laughs> well, and then also I mean now they're roped together too whenever they're reaching Heron Hall. That's they...
0: true. Yeah, it's interesting they they take them off the horses because Vargo wants to make like a big spectacle of leading them into yeah. Heron Hall he like puts them on like ropes and leads them in behind his horse or some other horse or something. something just yeah. really humiliating. And it's, it's a zebra. interesting, like, Brienne, like, squeezes his hand and whispers to him or his arm or something, you know, like, about, look at the banners. And, yeah. like, yeah, they're a team now. They're kind of yeah. a unit. You kind of get that yeah. impression.
2: Yeah. And,
0: um, I'm... So then we wander into Harrenhal. <laughs> we wander into what is really, I I mean, a lot of what happens once we reach Harrenhal is about setup for the Red Wedding, really. It's mm. kind of us seeing what's happening with like Roose Bolden and the phrase from a oh, different yeah. point of view than Catelyn. Yeah. We're seeing things through Jamie's eyes now. So we wander into Harrenhal and um, a bunch of phrases are there. I love it. Jamie calls them a furious <laughs> phrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I highlighted it. Yeah. That. Yeah.
2: yeah and I just love, you know, their complete disdain for Robb Stark there. They're just oh, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean,
0: It really is some of the first time you're really hearing some of this. I mean, you've heard a few things in other chapters, but this is just outright vitriol about how the phrase are feeling about Rob at this point. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you know it is obviously foreshadowing, but I don't know that that's anything anyone would have guessed <laughs> at this point of reading the right, books. Right,
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of new information to digest. Yeah. I think as you're reading it the first time. I don't know. Yet again, yeah. it's been so long. God knows yeah. about the first time and, I read
2: it. And yet again, I saw season three first, so <laughs> yeah. I already I already endured that uh, tragedy before having to read about it. And it <laughs> was great already. reading it. <laughs> I knew so what was the phaser there.
0: Well, Brienne points out that the Freys are here, the Boltons are here, and Rob's banner is still flying over Harrenhal, um, probably to keep up appearances, we will learn yeah. later on. But um, you can you can sense that Brienne is feeling like, oh, okay, these are Rob's men, maybe we're going to yeah. be okay, because Catelyn's yeah. the one who sent her out with Jamie and it's kind of just like a new heartbreaking low for Brienne when
2: and that's a, a sort of more indication of Brienne's naivety I think as well because she's yeah. not really battle hard and she's not really uh yeah she she wouldn't be aware that you know oh, perhaps something is going on despite the fact that she's standing there listening to the phrase you know talk about Rob with such <laughs> disdain she's yeah. like you know oh we'll be right we'll be right now Jamie it's all good <laughs> yeah. yeah Jamie knows
0: something is up because he can oh, tell yeah you know. He and he's,
2: it. you know, that's the distinction between him and Brienne. Jamie has had experience with this sort of uh, battle politics. So, yeah, yeah well, if Jamie wants
0: to or not, he has some political knowledge. He really does. You he, feel really like he doesn't does. want it, but he does have no. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, the phrase kind of, like, yammer on and on about how mad they are at Rob. It's funny, they go back and forth. like They're talking about, let's kill Jamie. Let's send him back to Tywin. Like, they, they don't know what they <laughs> yeah. want to do with him. <laughs> and then you see Roos just kind of quietly come forward and just take over. And Roos is, of I course, the brother-in-law of most of these sprays.
2: Yeah, I love Roos' introduction. I think it's quite a strong introduction. And you really do... Again, it's hard for me to tell because I saw him in the show first. But you really do get the impression that he is someone to be feared. Someone who... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean they I know Rose Hart I was talking to Rose Hart the other day and she you've got that line about his eyes, don't you?
3: Yeah, yeah. that Jamie described Bruce's eyes as pale as morning mist. That's
2: yeah, romantic. which is yeah, it's really it is you know what it, it is really romantic vivid imagery, but it also does sort of paint the picture of this I don't know, <laughs> kind
1: and of. Canon Roos, to me, is almost like a vampire to me. Yeah. He's yeah. And he's got clear eyes and everything, and he leeches himself, yeah. and, yeah. And his voice, him. it's, like, all soft and everything, and people just yeah. have to, like, quiet down so you they can hear what off. he's saying, and, yeah. He's
2: Dracula. <laughs> it's funny because he does, uh, well, we know in our fandom, he does have quite a few fans, Bolton, <laughs> but I think I'd put that down to Michael Mil- Hutton's, uh, you know, That <laughs> stunning might be good-loads. somewhat no. out <laughs> <Yes. now. laughs> Look, I've I, I got to say I am a TV Roos fan for that reason. I'm certainly not a book Bruce I'm not a fan of his personality. <laughs> <with you.
1: laughs> it's sad now because when I read Roos in the books now, I hear like, tv show Roose's voice yeah that is the
2: problem well yeah it's interesting I I do wonder how I would have read these books had I not seen the show first because you know as I was reading them I was picturing Nikolai as Jamie and and, uh, Gwendolyn as Brienne and I could hear their voices yeah so I wonder what you guys thought I mean you might not remember but I do wonder sort of how you initially read them and then when you saw it on tv was it you know what you're expecting was a kind of a i read
1: i read this book before season three started so it was it was a different experience yeah and then like now that i've read it though again i hear like i hear the tv show Roose's voice now
2: yeah he was
3: perfect
0: i have
2: (laughs) to
3: plan him he actually is really good
0: yeah he's great
2: yeah and uh yeah I don't know. I, th- I think yeah, they've done some really good casting. I can't say I have a huge issue with... Anyway, I think uh, <laughs> I'm, dig- I'm digressing. <laughs> We're done gushing about... Michael Let's talk about...
1: Class. I'm Shouting sure you know, Karma will love this. I know, right? She will. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. I- yeah,
0: basically yeah. Jamie just gets kind of like an update, kind of like <laughs> a news update on everything that's been happening in Westeros since he's been away yeah. with Brienne. Um, we learn a little bit about what happened at the Blackwater... Um, we learn that Joffrey's now going to marry Marjorie, which is news to both Brienne and Jamie. Mm. Um, and of course, Jamie can't resist asking about Cersei, and Ruth answers him, but kind of taunts him about Joffrey, kind of with um, a little bit of an insinuation that he knows Joffrey is Jamie's son, which, yeah. you know, Jamie kind of takes in stride. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think Jamie's used to it. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Also, <laughs> I mean,
2: at this point, Stannis has already sent out these yeah. letters, so everyone knows Jamie or <laughs> we'll suspects. Yeah. yeah.
1: Also, like Roos seems pretty pretty pissed about Jamie's hand missing by the time they get there too. Yes,
0: yeah. yes. Which yes. is notable. Yes. Right. And he also is a little bit irritated at the rape attempts on Brienne. Which is interesting yeah, it, because Roos is kind of a famous rapist himself. But
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. But I think it's more probably that um Ho- wasn't well. I don't know if he, com- you know, gave him commands about what and what not to do, but it was probably. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. And it's yeah. funny. It's funny to actually see how Hope responds when uh, when uh, berates him for it. You can tell that he's actually quite feared by the even the bloody Mummers. So you know that this is a force to be reckoned with.
0: Yeah. It's great. I wonder, I don't know if we ever saw Roos from Theon's POV. I think everything we've seen of Roos has been from Catelyn's up to this point. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody can write in correct oh, I didn't. Yeah. correct <laughs> yeah, it, it, Something that is interesting about the end of this chapter is we do get to see some things from kind of a new POV with Jamie in the Riverlands. And so he does serve more of a purpose than just his own story. Um, and we see a bit of that here. So then yeah. um, they separate Jamie and Brienne. And they just have a chance to take a quick look at one another before they separate. Yeah. You can oh, I love that uh, yeah, line. Maybe it's just yeah, highlighted me. That. I feel, yeah. that, no, you know, no, like, it, oh, I,
2: think it's, I think it's really telling that Jamie actually thinks this. The line the line is Jamie had only enough time to exchange a quick look with Brienne before they were marched away separately. Um, so the fact that Jamie would actually think to, you know, to look at her, and it even sounds kind of urgent, like he really wanted to <laughs> to yeah. kind of to get that comfort, I guess, from her. They've right. been together for so long now. They've endured so much together that being separated must have felt really odd to the both of them.
0: Right. Yeah. To us too,
3: Jamie. We don't want you separated <laughs> yeah. <over> either. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love this Quiburn bit.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. So then we jump into the Kyburn thing. And Jamie's yeah. hand, as we've been hearing, I should say stomp as we've been hearing throughout the chapter, <laughs> is clearly infected. There's a pus situation and a smell situation. Guys,
2: how is Jamie not dead? I'm serious. This is ridiculous. <laughs> how has he not died from sepsis? It, from all the description, it sounds like he's fevered. He's been yeah. fainting. He's been vomiting. That is signs of sepsis. Loss <laughs> of
1: loss of and, appetite yeah. yeah and what i what
2: i love is that kyburn takes one look at his hand and says no nah, you'll be okay like you can just tell <laughs> by looking <laughs> well because Kai has to more
0: of his arm off he's like yeah, yeah. we well, need to take more of this off and
2: jamie's I know. like no
0: which is he's, funny like, do... because it's like, you've already lost your hand. Why are you like yeah. quibbling or quibbling? Yeah, you, know, like...
2: you know what? I don't find it particularly um, strange. I think Jamie's lost so much of himself already that he's just really loath to lose, you know, any more, yeah. like even another few inches. He's really, you know, stridently against it. I guess to that's the it. He's just that... like at the end of his rope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's so against it to the extent that he won't even take milk with the poppy. Um, and there's, you know, that awesome kind of bit of exchange of dialogue, which I think Brian Cogman, who was the writer of the episode where this features, is Kissed by Fire, he obviously liked it because it was, he pretty much made it into the show verbatim um, where Kyburn tells Jamie, you know, there will be pain. And Jamie says, I'll scream. And Kyburn says, a great deal of pain. I'll scream very loudly, <laughs> um, which is, you know, <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed that. My favourite part yeah. of that episode on the
0: show was how everyone thought he was saying Milk of the Puppy. Just
2: <laughs> poppy. Wait, that's not what he was. Is that not what it is? <laughs> when do they milk the poppies? <laughs> oh goodness!
0: Yeah, but he won't take he won't take the milk of the poppy because he's afraid that Kyburn is gonna <laughs> cut he's, his arm. He's gonna wake away. up with no arm <laughs> yeah, and maybe yeah. no legs. <laughs> so he day. just like guts no it liver.
3: Out.
2: Jamie's pretty bad. It's <laughs> <out. He's laughs>
3: a black market organ <laughs> trading company. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's funny because Jamie does um, seem to see Kybert as kind of this fatherly, kind person. So, you know, you can imagine what he discovers later on. Yeah. So well, good good instincts, Jamie, yeah. not to want to fall asleep while yeah. Kybert is tending yeah. to
1: you. He's just had his hand cut off. He's had to endure days out. You know, on the way up to Heron Hall, he probably thinks that he can take it, you know, and from what it sounds like from reading this, it sounds pretty slow and just horrible. Yeah. Just, uh, excruciating. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was, it was, uh, I've got to say that scene in the show, I can't rewatch. Ugh, when Tyburn yeah. starts poking at his stump, I have to look away because it makes oh, me really yeah. nauseated. And and again, when you're reading it, maybe because I saw it first, but I get this really vivid imagery in my mind of that happening. And yeah, it's not pleasant. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. I think the show was a little, maybe made this more a little graphic. more graphic for me. I don't remember yeah. thinking of it as quite as horrific as, as yeah. I did when I saw it on the show. <laughs> mm. So, but anyway, Kyburn is, is cleaning him up. He has other wounds besides the stump because he mm. has some wounds that he sustained in he the has sword a, fight with Brandon. He has
2: a, wen- a wench induced wound. <laughs>
0: he
1: does. Yeah. He sure does.
0: <laughs> and um, the wound over his eye is infected. I think he mentions earlier in the chapter that it was infected and he was having trouble seeing out yeah. of it or something. And um, as Kyburn's working on that, he asks him how he got it. <laughs> I love this exchange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because jamie yeah. jamie said you know it was a winch's gift <laughs> yeah kyburn's like rough wooing my lord which i guess is code for rape as though this is just a standard thing yeah good in
2: westeros which is just a, bit of a, just a bit of a joke between two guys yeah but jamie
0: jamie just like scoffs at it he's like no yeah. she's bigger than me bigger than she's me. uglier than you yeah
2: <laughs> and then the but best then part yeah the best but then part. he's like
0: He's like, oh, but you know, she does have this wound in her leg.
2: <laughs> you better take yeah. care of her. Please yeah. go take care of my
0: wench. <laughs> <laughs> you better go take a look at her. And then you he know, calls then... her. Well, Kyburn's like, well, what is she to you if you know yeah. you weren't wooing her or whatever? And he's like, she's my protector. And yeah. Jamie laughs about it, but it's like you know yeah, he but... can't he can't help defining her this way because even yeah. though well, she didn't she end is. up physically protecting him, she yeah. am- ended up like emotionally protecting him.
2: Yeah, it's right. And you think uh, he gets to this point and he just has just had this realization you know for better or worse she is his protector she has been his protector and that's why he laughs but yeah it's funny up until now he hasn't really been able to put his finger on it and obviously as we know she probably is starting to be something else to him as well
1: yeah you know they he he mentions like the wound that she has you know from her leg but oh. we always everybody forgets about her arrow wound she got one in the yeah. leg in the back what happened yeah, I mean, to what, what with about that them. i mean it was it yeah. just like a little flesh wound and it just went away you know she has she has that like, arrow sticking out of her
2: shoulder and yeah. goes, don't worry it's just a flesh wound yeah. you better attend to that small cut that she has on her yeah.
3: eye. listen jamie pricked her you
2: have yes. to pay attention to that. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, I'm glad right. that, that Rose Hart huh? that out because, you know, I've had enough. I, I think I've done enough with the sexual love.
3: <laughs> I drunkenly giggled at that for like half an hour.
2: Because
0: it's all over. Like everything yeah. about their interactions is just yes. peppered with this sexual talk. Yeah. And it's like Do it doesn't time... need to be there.
2: Do we have time to talk about that just briefly? I know we're getting up to the hour. I mean,
0: but... Lot's not here so. Yeah. so we can just keep going she's not here to crack the, the babysitter's in charge so yeah. yes we can talk Excellent.
2: about it yay can, can we make s'mores no anyway so <laughs> glam glam who's glamophonic on tumblr she made a, a, a fantastic post on uh the website Jamie Brienne online the other day um and there she essentially talks about how you know, events in a book don't just happen. We have um, sort of Jamie Brand detractors online who tend to say, you know, when Jamie does this, it's just Jamie doing stuff. There's no real deeper meaning to it. Um, but, you know, what I think they fail to realise is there is an actual, there is an author writing this story. They write things for a reason. They They carefully consider the things they write. So, you know, when you are analysing the things that Jamie does, you know, they don't just happen organically. He's not a real person. He is being fed his lines. He's being fed his actions by someone, you know, who's the person that writing who's writing the story. So, you know, they are a conscious choice on the part of um, GRRM um, when he has all these sort of romantic and sexual overtures. Um, they're a conscious part in building this sort of foundation for a romantic relationship between Jamie and Brienne. I could sort of understand looking at the things that happen between them and saying, oh, okay, you know, yes, um, Jamie compares her to Cersei a few times. Okay, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, Yes, you know, people comment on them in a sexual manner, but it was just meant to be a joke, you know, when Shagwell calls them the lovers. You know, he's just mucking around. But, you know, okay, taken separately, okay, I could understand that, but you have to take it within the context of the story and how many times these sorts of references happen um, you know we've got so as i mentioned Jamie constantly being compared constantly comparing Brienne to Cersei who's his lover we've got the ridiculously sexual sword fighting scene um, we've got you know coming up Jamie and Brienne getting naked together in a bath Jamie you know <laughs> checking out Brienne's pubic hair and comparing it to Cersei again <laughs> then you know Jamie saves Brienne from rape twice yeah. and then the bear at great risk to himself um, I could keep going there's a lot of stuff yeah. that happens in the future I won't I won't touch on them now but you know you can't just dismiss this stuff it's it's being purposely written for a reason you're just preaching to the choir and I'm preaching to the choir and that one Jamie and Cersei we ship love it. listening and
0: <laughs> oh that poor Jamie Cersei ship. no I totally agree with you Whitey and I always say I've made many posts about this where i just say like (laughs) grm is using um jamie's point of view and you know his point of view structure in general to kind of misdirect what's going on if you just look at the story points of what goes on with jamie and brienne it's pretty clear what's going on the only thing that really throws you off is just Jamie's internal monologue and some of his dialogue. Yeah. That's really the only thing that would make you think that this yeah. wasn't getting really romantic really fast.
2: <laughs> and you you do quickly come to realize that you can't rely on Jamie's dialogue because Jamie himself doesn't have a good grasp of his, uh, his emotions.
0: We so see he doesn't Jamie yet. Yeah. Having emotional questions for himself that he can't seem to answer.
2: Why do I want to say? You know, why am I thinking of Brienne and getting an erection? Why am I continually (laughs) trying to save her from rape and from a bear? Why did I risk my life? He doesn't know. We we know. We know.
1: Why did I get in this beautiful blue dress?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. We're done with the Storm of Swords. Now we spoiled the whole thing.
2: (laughs) Sorry, guys.
0: (laughs) oh man this was a good chapter i love this chapter this is probably my favorite storm of no might be my favorite a song of ice and fire chapter actually i just uh, adore this thing
2: it is it's really um for those of us who enjoy the angsty self-reflection it is a real gift i
1: think yeah
2: um and and not only that it kind of is um you know it's kind of a turning point in a way for Jamie and Brynn's relationship I mean yes it had already sort of started to develop but this is a chapter where you really get a sense that they're starting to care about each other and um you know working as a team and whatnot and again just to be it was really beautifully written there are some really gorgeous lines in there so it really it really is an excellent chapter I it is one of my favorites as well
0: it is the game's getting deeper kids yeah. So next week we're gonna do uh, Jamie Five, and we're gonna do just another single chapter episode. I hear this a ball.
2: Week. I hear this a hey, ball. Uh, you yeah. know, you might
0: have heard some things about this chapter that we have coming
2: up. That
1: might <laughs> so be a little is bit like famous. The, this is the platonic boner. The totally. <laughs> platonic
0: <laughs> boner. <Totally. laughs> exactly. We've all got so, them. <laughs> um, who has thank yous? Eon, did you have thank yous? I got
1: them. I got awesome, the thank dude.
0: yous.
1: All right. Um, our first thank you is from Theater Music Bookworm, also known as Tori. Tori! Yay, Tori! And here it goes. It's sword-fucking! Exclamation, 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 exclamation! (laughs) Thoroughly enjoyed this episode, especially the discussion about how different things would have been with Joanna alive. You ladies always manage to find really interesting points. You also never fail to make me laugh. Thank you for being the highlight of my day.
2: Aww. Aww.
0: And well, you, you know no when she. in this episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just <laughs> gonna say downer. A little bit. You know.
2: You know when she talks about us finding interesting points to talk about. She's talking about the horse metaphors, right? <laughs> oh yeah, she <laughs> yes loves those. Yeah. Yes. Knew lady. it. Right.
1: Knew it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> our last. Um, thank you. We just had two. So. Um, our last one is from Joker. Took my picture, aka Maggie. Maggie. Yes, and she says, finally got to listen to this week's podcast. Ladies, what an amazing episode. I love it so much. And you know what, guys? Listening to your book chapter podcast makes me ship JB even more. I didn't Aww. know this was even possible. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation.
0: Oh, we love you, Maggie.
1: Aww. Yeah, we do. You're you're doing such an amazing job, and listening to your discussions makes me feel like I'm right there with you. I really appreciate the atmosphere you create and the way you never fail to make me laugh or even laugh hysterically. Lots of love.
2: Oh, we love Thanks. you, Max.
0: We love you guys. Thank you so yes, much.
2: Thank you so much. We, we really much. do. Yeah, those thank yous make our day.
0: They actually really do, and so do reviews on iTunes. We love to get oh. those.
2: Oh, we did have a review reviews. on iTunes, didn't we? Did we? I didn't see any. Yeah. Did we have oh, any? I'm trying to, I'm, you know what? I'm frantically trying to pull it up while, uh, <laughs> was trying to pull it up while Ian was talking.
0: Live <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Live podcast, you <laughs> guys.
2: Things that happen.
0: Um, but we do love those reviews. If you guys want to leave us more reviews, that's awesome. We know the book episodes are probably not hitting the spot for a lot of the Game of Thrones fans. Yes. But Yes. We appreciate those of you who have stuck in there with us. It's a lot more than we expected. We thought, well, we'll be back to five listeners, but we're still at 12, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah.
2: Right? <laughs> Guys, I've, got the, I've got the review. You do? It. do? do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that and now it's frozen. <laughs> okay, That's no, true. I've got it now. <laughs> so um, this is a review from the uh, US iTunes store. Um, and it's from uh, Joyous Follies. We haven't done this one, have we?
1: I don't believe so. It doesn't ring really yeah.
2: well for me. Okay. It was from it was from the eighth of July, so I don't think we have. Anyway, she or he <laughs> says, I am absolutely in love with this podcast. It has everything. Humor, intrigue, in-depth discussion, shipper silliness. Everything you could ever want in a podcast. I have to say that I feel so lucky to have stumbled upon this gem while lurking on Tumblr. It has become a highlight of my week. Please never stop posting. Um Aww. Aww. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Joyous Follies. That is... Really beautiful. Aww. Oh
0: I love thank it that you. we get randoms every once in a while. We we do our six friends into listening. And- <laughs>
2: yeah. It's our six friends and the occasional uh, you know, stranger who finds right. us on so-, <laughs> so thank you. Thank um,
0: you and God. thanks for bearing with us in this lot-free podcast. We <laughs> <Yes, laughs> do
1: so. Hopefully, we can
0: muddle through the next few weeks, and it won't be too bad. I yeah, really hope
1: Lot really enjoyed this too. Oh, Lot, yeah. she's yeah.
0: so face-palming. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Have thanks, a good night, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.